Let me be clear. The Fed does not care about crashing the market. Nor should they. Yeah, they they shouldn't because that that is not their job. Right. Their job is completely different. But the Fed minutes came out from the last Fed meeting. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I read in the minutes, which I thought was super, super powerful, was a direct quote I'm going to read you right now. Okay. And I think this is extremely telling of the Fed's perspective and what their intent is. Yep. The cost of doing too little to curb inflation outweighed the cost of doing too much. Mm. They are telling you they are not worried about over-increasing interest rates. Anymore. Any, well, anymore. Right. Yeah, yeah. They are only worried about not doing enough to stop this from growing because inflation is still going the wrong way. Right. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Higher Standard Podcast, where we give you ultra-premium, unfiltered truth when it comes to building your wealth and curating the lifestyle of your dreams. No games, no drama, and no shenanigans. I am your host, Chris Nahibi, and I'm here to help you distill the immense amount of information and disinformation out there on the interwebs and give you the opportunity to choose a higher standard for yourself. There are no gurus here, and no one gives a damn about how wealthy you look. I'm an attorney and a banker, amongst other things. Does that mean you should listen to me? Hell no. This is just full disclosure that while we talk about money, wealth, law, investing, and a lot of related topics, you should always speak to your own advisors for an opinion tailored to your unique investment perspective. I am obligated to tell you that nothing contained in this show is in fact legal or investment advice and is being provided solely for entertainment purposes. So sit back, relax your mind, and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I am Chris Nahibi. And I am Saeed Omar, and you're listening to The Higher Standard. If you like this show, please go ahead and subscribe, and don't forget to leave an honest five-star review. He had to pause when he said honest. Yeah. Because if it's not a five-star review, we know it's not honest. Yeah, you're not being true to yourself All or right. your loved ones. Enough cheeky shenanigans for the intro. There has been so much going on in the economy since we last talked. We wanted to jump right in to a bunch of content. And let's jump into the, the recap of the numbers that you said were coming out last episode. PPI and CPI, where are we, brother? Yeah, PPI report came out earlier this week on Wednesday. Uh, that's the producer price index, and the consumer price index uh, came out actually on Thursday. And let's give everyone a quick little recap of what happened. So uh, the producer price index report increased 0.4% in September month over month. When they excluded food and energy, it increased by 0.3% month over month, and that's a 7.2% increase year over year. Basically, what that means is it's going in the wrong direction still. So, and this was the day before the CPI or the inflation print came out. So this was a very, very telling and bad omen. And the markets kind of reacted a little bit in, in that they started to really trade down towards the last hours of the day after this came out. And I start, I think the next day you really started to see the reaction in the markets as it started to trade down. And then the CPI number came out and it was once again a terrible print, which was, I should point out, in line with where we told everyone it was going to be. Exactly. Still going in the wrong direction. Then the following day, the Consumer Price Index came out. And just as a quick little recap, because I know on a few of the past episodes, you and I were a little confused on what those uh, increases were. So because, just, you know, it's, it's funny because we do this so long. Yeah. You know, we've done this for so long. We've done this so many times now that 
the numbers are starting to blend into one another a little bit. Well, they're starting to blend, but there's not there's not a whole lot of change, right? It, it's it's increments, small it, increments, small increments. So what we're really trying to get everyone to focus on are the trends, yeah. right? And this trend is not good. It's going the wrong way, right? So it uh, just to recap: in June, the consumer price index was uh, in, uh, 9.1%, July, 8.5%, August, 8.3%. And then in September it was, uh, 8.2%. It's not changing a whole lot. Yeah. Right. Um, so, and of those, we wanted to give you a quick little breakdown as to, you know, where the inflation is and isn't, uh, Chris, you want to get into that? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> wow, he's like poking me. <laughs> you got it. He's like, pay attention, Chris. <laughs> yeah, stop drinking that beer. Focus. Uh, we uh, full disclosure, we are drinking once again. So, I really like this. I found that, I found this on Yahoo Finance. We're gonna link it in the show notes, and you'll get it in the newsletter if you subscribe. But basically, Yahoo put together what they thought uh, was a great bar chart of where inflation is. Right at the top, and this did not surprise me because we came back from vacation. I was telling my wife how shocking airline travel had become. Forty-two point nine percent. 12-month change in the price of airfare. Right. That is a huge change. So for anybody who's like trying to book travel someplace and they've gone like, what the hell? Pricing has gone up. Right. It, it's gone up palpably. Exactly. Number two, household energy, uh, 20.8%. Gasoline, 18.2%. And I would tell you, because of OPEC cutting back 2 million barrels of oil production a day, mm-hmm. you can expect to see this continue to rise. We actually haven't really felt that in the numbers that were reported for CPI currently. Right. And a, and a lot of these things, like especially like the gasoline, it'll bleed over into some of the other fields, right? So like gasoline going up. It's going to go into airline. It's going to go into airline, you know, cost of shipping ag- and delivery. Agriculture, right? Agriculture, all, yeah. all that stuff. So these things all like intertwine with one another. Speaking of agriculture, the next category was one that you and I are going to talk a little bit more in depth about. Food at home increased year over year at 12%. But before we go into the detailed breakdown of this, I wanted to point out that these are the top what, one, two, three, four categories, right? Right. All of them well over the 8% marker of where CPI printed. Right. So for those of you who are saying, okay, the inflation is eight or, you know, close to eight and a half percent, whatever it might be that, you know, we're telling everybody what it is in the last couple of months. The problem is, is if you're buying airfare, you're spending money at home on energy costs, your, your electricity, right. You know, your gas, if you're spending money on gasoline in your car to travel, and if you're buying food and these are your four top expenses, you're well above that inflation number. That is not, in my mind, an accurate representation of how much it's really costing consumers to live right I now. agree. I agree. Totally. So, I mean, so back to grocery, the grocery breakdown. Groceries F- are at up, home. Yeah, food at home, yeah. right? Uh, groceries are up 13% year over year. That's up 0.8% from last month. To break down some of these items, uh, cereal and bakery products jump up to 16.2%. Crazy. People aren't out there buying Magic Spoon. And see, that, that's, just, <laughs> that's, just, <laughs> that's not. But, that's but the, we love Magic Spoon. We love so Magic that's Spoon. Not that's not. That's Magic not the increase. Yeah. Well, we we wish we could have more Magic Spoon. Actually, yeah. um, meats and poultry, fish and eggs up nine percent. Dairy products up just shy of sixteen percent. Mm-hmm. Fruits and veggies up ten point four percent. All all this. Think about it. How many months have gone by? How long have we been talking about the Fed raising interest rates, and still things are trending up. So there's a lot here we can break down and there's a lot of different directions we can pivot. But what I'll tell you is that I hear a lot on the news and from a lot of people who are quote economists who are saying the Fed's moving too hard, too fast. They're, mm-hmm. they're saying that the Fed is 
is doing things that are wrong. They're comparing us to London, and, and, and we'll get into some of the international economic challenges uh, you know, ahead in the episode. But what I will say is that I don't see how you can look at this data and not feel like the Fed is doing the right thing. And I'm not I'm not a Fed supporter or not support. I mean, we try to be as unbiased as we can. Right. All I'm saying is when you look at the data and you look at these numbers and you look at the increases and you say to yourself, okay, the, the four top areas that went up, I mean, aside from airfare, if you don't travel a whole lot, mm-hmm. household energy you have to spend. Right. Gasoline, most people don't have electric cars still. Right. Food at home is a big one. And it goes transportation's next. Pets and, and pet products, furniture, new vehicles, food at restaurants, all are ahead of overall inflation at 8.2%. And, th- and you got to remember, too, that these rate hikes are at 75 basis points. That's three times more than the a- the average what they used to do. If, if the Fed usually gets involved, it's normally a 25 basis point hike. Mm-hmm. Now, this is now the, what, the third or fourth time that they're going to co- be coming in? It'll be a third if it, it's 75 basis yeah, points. Yeah, third time in a row of 75 basis point hike. And that's like, man, like that shows you like it, it's going to take a lot to get this thing under control. And that's where I think that there's a misguided belief that a lot of these talking heads know what the Fed should do or shouldn't do. And what I'll say is there's a lot of people who are economists who are employed by companies who have a vested interest in the outcome of the Fed backing off this. Mm -hmm. For those of you who don't remember what the ether was earlier in the year, there was a lot of smart people in business, in the economy, talking about how, you know what, the Fed's going to have to back off monetary policy by the end of the year. Yep. And, you know, they're going to bring rates back down because they're going to, quote, crash the market. Let me be clear. The Fed does not care about crashing the market. As Nor should fact, they. Yeah, they, they shouldn't because that, that is not their job. Right. Their job is completely different. But the Fed minutes came out from the last Fed meeting. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I read in the minutes, which I thought was super, super powerful, was a direct quote I'm going to read you right now. Okay. And I think this is extremely telling of the Fed's perspective and what their intent is. Yep. The cost of doing too little to curb inflation outweighed the cost of doing too much. Mm. They are telling you they are not worried about over-increasing interest rates. Anymore. Any, well, anymore. Right. Yeah, yeah. They are only worried about not doing enough to stop this from growing because inflation is still going the wrong way. Right. This is a massive number. And for those of you who are uninitiated, the number coming down year over year is not necessarily indicative of, of inflation coming down. Core inflation aside from food and energy, is actually going up. Right, yeah. The one that the Fed is looking at yeah, is going so, up. So the Fed isn't backing off. And, and I, I don't know that they will at any point in the foreseeable future because the numbers aren't going the right way. And there's, there, are, there are people out there who are going to be on social media, on the internet, on the news, saying the Fed is being overreactive and they're going to drop rates down to 3% and it's going to completely change and, and trash the market. Well, people have been saying this for the greater portion of a year. Mm-hmm. And despite two 75 basis point increases, a 50 and a 25 right. to get to where we are today right. and to still see core inflation rising. I'm going to tell you right now, this whole fear mongering of the Fed increasing interest rates is going to change the economy and it's going to be an overnight flash and we're all going to go into recession. We've been in a recession. Right. So these arguments to me just fall on deaf ears. I've got no pity for them. And frankly, I don't understand how people can really take the tack that they've been taking. Right. So one, a couple of things that I think should be noted still is the next Fed meeting is November 1st and November 2nd, right? I expect it to be raised another 75 basis points. Well, that's, that's conjecture. I think prior to this, it was set, it was 50 basis points, what everybody thought it was. Mm-hmm. And I think now because of these bad prints, that yeah. that's the belief. That's the belief, right. But, but we don't know for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's, that's the belief. So- there's that one, there's that meeting, and then another meeting on December 14th. So 
remember, we talked about on the last episode, uh, the stock market's gone down 25% approximately so far this mm-hmm. year, right? With all these rate hikes. This is going to further impact the housing market, yep. the stock market, the debt market, obviously housing and mortgages and all that, right? And we're going to get into that a little bit more in the episode. There's plenty of articles we have to reference, I think. And it's going to hurt our crypto bros even more. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just going to keep I, it. I think keep, that's already dead. I'm going to keep it honest. Yeah. I think I think that's largely gone away at this point. I don't want to be like a, a terrible person. No, and, we're just being, I mean, if we're attacking every, all the other industries, I mean, it's attacking true. Attacking is such a harsh word. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, if, you we're, know? Keep, if we're being honest with the other industries, we got to be honest with our crypto bros too. You have to forgive everybody. Saeed and I were on a live earlier on Instagram and everybody was commenting that they were fatter than Saeed and Saeed looks great. Feeling so he's, great. He's feeling, feeling very emotionally secure right because, now. Be, because of that, I will be creating a social media account in the near future. <laughs> because stay, of that. Stay wow. tuned. Yeah. All right. Well, I wanted to frame the inflation conversation before we pivoted and moved a different direction in a way that I thought would give you some perspective without using really complicated economics to prove it out. Mm-hmm. PepsiCo has raised their forecast after Q3 boosted by higher prices. And you think, wait a minute. Yeah. They're raising their forecast for the, you know, after Q3 boosted by higher price. So they, they, they charged more, right. sold more, made more money. They're, they're seeing like people aren't changing their, the way they're consuming, right? They're not, yep. they're not, you know, pulling back. They're still spending. So why would they? So the New York-based snack and drink maker said its sales volumes were down 1% from July to September period a year ago, but prices surged 17% as the company tried to recoup double-digit price increases for raw ingredients as well as higher spending on transportation. So there's that oil and energy cost that site was referencing. Right. So because their costs went up, they charged more. The end consumer is effectively getting a 17% increase. And this company has now made more money because of it. Mm-hmm. But this is double, more than double. Right. What CPI is saying. What CPI is saying inflation is. So I we've, we've said this on, on previous shows, and I'll say it again. I truly do not believe that actual impact to consumer inflation is, is around 8%. I believe it's closer to 20%. Right. Exactly. And not to get conspiratorial. Conspiratorial, baby. Right. Um, but you, you, you'd have to think, because we've talked about it before, that Social Security is uh, going to be adjusted now. Um, they're they're going to start receiving bigger checks, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, 2023 cost of living adjustment will be increased by 8.7% for Social Security recipients. So my mom's on Social Security. Yeah. And I'll tell you, she she was a registered nurse. She ran a hospital for um, mentally challenged individuals and people with long-term memory issues. Salute to your mom. Yeah, she, I mean, she, she did it for a long time. And, you know, my mom's got her own health issues. She's she, she's working through some challenges, and she decided that it was time for her to retire. Right. How much do you think her Social Security is for her? Oh, man. I know. I, I've seen some of these numbers. Not a whole lot. Not, $1,700 not, yeah. a month. It's a, it's, it's a Who shame. in this country can live off of $1,700 a so month? So that, that's the next thing that I was going to mention. So this increase, this 8.7% increase that Social Security recipients are going to be getting, mind you, it's the largest gain since 1981. Mm-hmm. On average, it's an increase of $140 per check. Which, again, to me, is still woefully insufficient for... I mean, that's that's going to cover one tank of gas for some people? Well, this is the problem. So you're using the prints, the CPI number, 8%. In this case, 87 is what they're using as their moniker, mm-hmm. right? But the real inflation, like we've talked about, is closer to 20%. This is still going to be a 10% negative so, for them. So that's my that was my point on not being... I feel like I made, I made your point better than that. No, but not to get conspiratorial is if they were to report the true inflation number, then how much more would these social security recipients need to get? I should probably I should probably pause. 
we keep saying conspiratorial because Saeed messed up and said yeah. Cons- yeah, <laughs> conspiracy yeah, we, a long time ago. Yeah. And that's the way no, he we described said, it. I think I said conspiratory. Oh, <laughs> so he's been he's been framing it that way ever since as, as a way to give me a middle finger in the middle of the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're not stupid. I yeah. mean, we're stupid, but that's not the reason why. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, if they were if they were to report the true inflation number, I mean, how much more would that cost the government not to get conspiratorial? Ah, there he goes again. I do think that that exactly it would cost the government a lot more, but the cost of living in this country is so expensive, no matter where you are. Mm-hmm. To pay somebody that much, I, I I don't know how you survive. I mean, assuming you've got no house payment, my mom luckily doesn't have that issue, doesn't have a car payment, and it's still difficult for her because her cost of medicine is so expensive. I know, I know. It, it, it's just her medicine alone is almost half of, of that money. Yeah, and you sort of think to yourself, like, what what are we doing? Yeah, they what, have, where are our priorities at? Yeah, these people that are now retiring that have you know worked so hard their whole life. This is what's the quality of life, man. Your segue game today has not been as good as normally. I think it, I think it's a little off. Oh, I wasn't trying to segue. You weren't trying to segue. I know. Uh, I can uh, tell. That's I, why I, I brought wanted, it up. I, I wanted to talk more about you know your mom's living situation. I feel nah, bad. I don't, don't feel bad. My mom, yeah. mom's daddy. Yeah, you take care. I of her. take care of yeah, mom. Yeah, 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 daddy yeah, yeah, takes yeah, care yeah, of mom. Yeah, yeah, you know what but, I mean. But people like your mom. You know who've, who worked really hard for a very long time. Yeah, it, it it's we. My mom and I actually had this conversation not too long ago. It, it's. I feel blessed that I'm in the situation that I'm in to where I can take care of her and I can help out to the extent that I can. Right. But I feel terrible that it takes someone like me to help her out, given right. a lifetime of service to people in that, 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 that frankly are often forgotten and left for, for granted in these places. Yeah, yeah. And, and it just, I mean, that's the other thing, like nurses, teachers, they do not get paid as much as they should. We expect our kids to be raised well but we don't pay our teachers top dollar. We expect our people to be taken care of in hospitals, but we don't pay our nurses top dollar. I know. I mean, you look at some of the professions that are supposed to protect us. Right. You want great police officers? Pay them more. You want great teachers? Pay them more. Yeah. I mean, it's not a hard equation. And for some reason, and I look at government spending, and I think to myself, like, so uh, did I talk about the, this? The I think it maybe just you and I. What? We were talking about how I had a theory of how to improve the economy. Yes, yes, yes. Did yes. we talk about that on the show? Yeah, I think we yeah. did. Yeah, stop printing money, lower the taxes. Yeah, and, yeah, I mean, just give us money. So right. I, I look at stuff like this, and I'm thinking, thinking, okay, we're spending a lot on the world's largest military. Mm-hmm. We're spending a lot on IRS agents. Why we're don't getting, we pay teachers more? We're giving a lot of money to Ukraine. Yeah, 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 we're giving a lot of money to Ukraine. So actually, that that's your segue. Ray Dalio, Bridgewater Associates Dalio, has warned of a perfect storm for the economy. This is a Reuters article. Mm-hmm. And I can paraphrase okay. it, but you know, just a quick little refresher on everyone who doesn't know who Ray Dalio is. Oh, I, why... you know, it's funny I idolize this man, so I kind of know who he is. I yeah. forget that people don't yeah. always know. You know, yeah. you know him for the book that you read that had a great impact on you. But Ray Dalio's Principles—it's an amazing book. The first part of Principles talks about kind of his history and his life, and the second part of it really talks about his investment strategy and how he runs the firm in a little more detail than the first part. If you haven't listened to it and you're all interested in investments and hedge funds and economics in general. Mm-hmm. Great fucking book. Great fucking book. But what he's known for is being the founder of Bridgewater Associates, um, and he built it into the largest hedge fund in the world. Yep. And according to Fortune magazine, the fifth most important private company in the U.S. He just stepped away, actually, this uh, yeah. last month after yeah. ten years. So he he announced ten years ago that he was going to step back, and he effectively gave his company mm-hmm. to to some of his people that were senior. I think it was worth valued at like one hundred fifty billion or something. Yeah, one hundred fifty billion. Yeah, of uh, the company anyway. Yeah, and, and he uh, he has some interesting strategies. So. This is actually really cool. I, I got it from the book, and, and I thought about it. In today's society, it's even more valuable and something we could do from a technology perspective. But early, early, early on in technology, if you work with somebody in the, in the firm, yeah, 
they could rate you on their uh, interaction with you. Oh, wow. So all interactions were rated. So if you had like a bad customer service with an, another internal employee, because your employees are just as much customers as your outward customers, right? Dude, so like a social credit score? Is, is that exactly what it was? And it was a social credit score with your other employee. And it was rated. So instead of doing like annual reviews... Oh my God. Instead of doing reviews, he was doing like this social score. Oh my God. That's, that was that's live, real time. And it, yeah. here's the best part is people could look up your social score. Yeah. Before they talked to you, it, it talked about your like your uh, strength finders, your strengths, your yeah. weaknesses, yeah. good things and bad things that you've done. And people could look that up before they nice spoke in, to you. Nice in theory, but very dangerous. I don't know, man. He he described it as as phenomenally valuable. Yeah. I mean, within the company that you're working for, take that outside of that company and. It can get abused, man. Yeah, but Bridgewater's been so tightly held internally that there's right. not a lot of external knowledge of how things work internally. So that's right. why his book was so seminal on this because you got a kind of a peek into how this mm -hmm. really one-of-a-kind firm worked. And uh, one last quick refresher on everyone. We've brought Ray Dalio up before. He was on the episode where he interviewed Volker. Mm. We that's played, right. We he interviewed Paul Volker. That's right, before yeah. he passed away. Yeah. yeah. And... Uh, Anyway, a really great guy. I like him a lot. I, I, I have um, I've nerded out from a banking and finance perspective. And for those of you who don't know, when I was really, really young, when I grew up, I wanted to be an investment banker. Mm -hmm. And and this was kind of one of those categories of, of bankers that were kind of in that field. And he right. was the pinnacle of somebody who had made it. it. He wasn't like a boiler room kind of person. He was He was a guy who did something that was truly incredible. Right. Uh, he also said that, and I'm quoting here, ridiculously, ridiculously, yeah, it's the, it's, it's the alcohol, it's port wine, so we're classy, <laughs> ridiculously stupid economic policies have the U.S. hurtling toward a, quote, perfect storm, end quote, mm. of economic pain, Ray Dalio says. This is in a Fortune article, which offset the previous one by Reuters. Basically, it boils down to this, and I'll, I'll paraphrase everything for everyone. Mm -hmm. He's concerned about three things that he believes are going to drive us into an, un, an unquestionable recession. One is the monetary policy we've just come through. We printed a ton of liquidity. Mm -hmm. We had artificial interest rate deflation for a prolonged period of time. Right. Two, you've got a very, very polar political climate. Right. We're walking into the midterms right now. You're already getting those annoying text messages saying, vote for me, man, <laughs> which is super obnoxious. <laughs> like, hey, there is Ken something something, and I'm voting for, you know, yeah. I'm rolling for this. And it's just you're like, God, why? Yeah. Yeah, and you just get all those messages. It's terrible. But that yeah. polar economic and legislative political climate has really started to do some things that are contrary to monetary policy. We've talked about the Inflation Reduction Act. We've talked right. about student debt forgiveness. And we've talked about how those things are not good for, the, especially the near-term inflation. And then he goes on to say that the war in the Ukraine, where money, tremendous amounts, billions of dollars are going out because we're a member of some of the United Fronts, like NATO, right. that contribute to helping out in situations like this. And I'm not saying it's not a terrible thing. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do it. But that is sending money from the U.S. someplace else, which does not help the economy. Right. And for those anyone that wants to know and keep track, so far, uh, around eight point some trillion dollars has been donated to the Ukraine war. Eight point. Not from us entirely, obviously. I think we, we've, been, we've been around, I think, the $16, 17000000000 billion mark. But all countries combined. Yeah. And yeah. That, that, that's what that people don't understand the impacts of this. And there's been so much in the news. You know, that, that's another topic we could go off on a tangent on that I'll try not to. But I have seen it palpably. Stress levels are running high, man. Yeah. People's tensions, stress levels, just the, the economic climate, these things. As much as, as we don't know that it's having an impact every day because people don't talk about these things because people keep their finances really, you know, to themselves. Yeah. 
it's visible, man. Like people are really starting to stress out. Yeah, you can see it. I know people are really tense, and you can and you if if you if you're aware of it, try to give people a little bit longer of a leash because. You don't want to ruin relationships during this time. Yeah, instead of calling me out in the middle of the podcast about going on to, you know, topics for inflation. Damn, bro. God damn, cold, bro. Cold-blooded, dog. My bad. Cold-blooded. People still use the word dog? Yeah. yeah. Hey, hey dog. What's up, dog? Yeah, I'm a 90s kid. I'm going to keep it. You know, I watched, uh, <laughs> this is totally bad, but so my wife and I had some rare, like a rare opportunity to watch television last night, uh-huh. and we, we've kind of caught up on a lot of our shows and- Really? And oh, that's a whole other conversation. That's a whole other conversation. Shows you're watching. We watch a lot of shows. We've been watching C with- uh, Jason, I don't uh, know that one. Really? Yeah. Well, my wife and I rarely watch TV shows, so I'm uh, not. I'm not someone to bounce TV she, shows she, off. She was really good. We we were watching. Uh, we watched the, the conclusion of Westworld, which has kind of gone left a little bit. It, it's gone so far extreme. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was episode season four of that, and then um, I mean, pretty much uh, Stranger Things. I mean, all, all the things everybody else watches. But I saw Tokyo Vice on HBO a couple of times. Basically, it's mm. about. It's about uh, a newspaper reporter who's an American in Japan during the 90s and investigating things about the Yakuza and everything else. Mm-hmm. But it's like that 90s period vibe. Oh, wow. And because I, I, I kind of love Japan from that era, especially because right. of the work culture and everything else. And mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time building classic cars and stuff like that. So for me, there was a lot for me to want to get into. And I watched the first episode last night. And I got to tell That's you, pretty I, cool. I, I got I hooked. Know, man. I love all things Vice. What? All things Vice. Vice does great stuff. No, 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 not. It was Vice. on Vice. You said it was on no, Vice. No, Tokyo Vice was the name of the show. Oh, I thought it was on Vice. No, I love Vice too for a lot of reasons, but right. that, that, but that, <laughs> but that, that is not. That is not. No, no, no. no. Yeah, you keep drinking, brother. You yeah. good? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we can go into home prices. Or we can go into the worldwide economy. Which one do you want to go into? Uh, let's go into the worldwide economy because I know what's coming on after this. Okay, so. I've spent a lot of time trying to broaden my own horizons. I, I would say that I am not a student of, of the worldwide economy. So this is stuff that I've kind of had to force on myself to appreciate. Right. So this started where I went down a path and it came out with this article from Forbes. The worst is yet to come IMF economic outlook and uh, IMF cuts economic outlook and warns global inflation still hasn't peaked. And to give you a little bit of a sample, uh, this is going to sound a lot like Ray Dalio, and and maybe there's some corollaries here, but it is what it is. The International Monetary Fund, or the IMF, on Tuesday downgraded its forecast for the global economy next year and warned inflation would be worse than previously expected due to largely due largely to the ongoing disruption spurred by the war in the Ukraine, highlighting the difficulties faced by central banks around the world mm-hmm. as they try to cool decades high prices price increases without spurring a recession. And we've talked about it on the show with what's going on not only in Japan, the UK, uh South Korea, London. So- South Korea, Canada. London, Canada. Yeah. This is clearly becoming a global issue. And for those for those of you that don't know um, why IMF is so important, the International Monetary Fund, um that's an organization of 189 member countries that work to foster global monetary cooperation, secure financial stability, facilitate international trade, promote high employment and sustainable economic growth, and reduce poverty around the world. God damn, they do a lot of shit. They, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. they, they do. And, and I'll tell you that that's the IMF has, has been generally pretty quiet in, in recent years because there wasn't a whole lot to talk about. And, and here's the thing that I find strange. All these countries. Yeah. All these countries have 
companies. And all these companies usually have economists in right. some level, right? And there's, there's a lot. How can you and I, two complete morons, hairy yeah, yeah. morons. Well, yeah. I don't have hairy toes, but yeah. two hairy morons. <laughs> how can we have this podcast and be who we are? I mean, we're not we're not saying that we could do a better job than these people. We're no, all- but how can we be? Uh, how can we look at the economy objectively without biasness and say, as of J- in January of this year, right? We are in a recession. This is not good. And yeah. I'm not saying like the Patrick Bet David variant of it. He's got a great podcast. The whole Valuetainment brand's awesome. But he's been like doom and gloom for a while. But yeah, here we are citing sources. Yeah, current data and people still still go on television and say. You know, the, the Fed is not data-driven at this point. They're just out there, you know, wiling out. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, like, the data doesn't say that. The data says the Fed yeah. is fighting and losing a battle against it makes, inflation. It makes, it makes me feel like the people that are can still profit, like we've talked about before, are still trying to squeeze out every last penny that they can, not caring about the consequences and repercussions for, you know, low-income household, middle-income households, the, what they're gonna, the pain they're going to feel. And I, If you're I, a first-time home buyer right now, how do you buy a house? How do you buy? You are so affordability is such an issue, right? Let's be. Where are you going to come up with hundreds of thousands of dollars? They don't have anyone in their corner to tell them that it's not a good idea. They've been riding this wave for the last fourteen years, or they've seen it and they've never been through a cycle. And that's the sad part. That's why I feel very lucky and blessed to be around people that have been through cycles and know and can tell you, like, hey, you need to look out, start to hoard some cash, protect yourself. Um, Yeah, man. I don't know, but it is going to be, it is a global issue at this point. Mm, it is. So let's talk about South Korea. I mm-hmm. found this one fascinating because I had, I'd heard a lot about Canada. A lot of, a lot of my followers are from Canada. So I kind of know that market. Um, and I've been told a lot about what's going on there, you know, firsthand, firsthand from them and their perspective. And a lot of them are in the real estate space. I've heard a lot about London because you've seen on the news and I think we have a good relationship with their economy. So you tend to hear about it and it's English speaking, right? Mm-hmm. But the South Korean one was somewhat surprising. I saw this article come up and the the similarities to the rhetoric that we're hearing here versus what they're hearing there yeah. were so in line that I thought, okay, this is a clear indication that this is a worldwide problem. So I'll read you the quote. This is from Reuters. South Korea delivers another big hike as Fed rates sink local currency. And here's a quote from the actual article. South Korea's central bank raised interest rates by a half percentage point for a second time since July on Wednesday. As a surging dollar driven by aggressive U.S. monetary policy tightening banned import inflation. So now import exports are becoming a very big problem. Right. We've talked about this uh, as part of the PPI in the previous episodes. We talked about this as it relates to our dollar getting stronger against things like, you know, London's currency mm-hmm. and and. That's the problem, right? Our, our currency is getting stronger in some ways, but that also impacts us. Because yeah, there things... are there are pros and cons to that. Absolutely. So the Bank of Korea, the BOK, which I thought was awesome, Buck, yeah. uh, raised its, it's, it's what it is. <laughs> it raised its benchmark policy rate by 50, 50 basis points to 3% on Wednesday, bringing total rate hikes since August last year to 250 basis points. So wow. again, another another bank uh, of a nation, a central bank, bank, mm-hmm. uh, bank of Korea, increasing their target benchmark rate. Right. So the U.S. is not alone in that. I know. And I, you're, you're starting to see economists and, and other talking points and talking heads say that the Fed, don't be surprised if the Fed changes their benchmark rate to now 5%. That would not surprise me at all based on what we're seeing and the, and yeah. the lack of response we're seeing in yeah. the actual numbers. Governor Ri Chang Yang, or Yang, Ri Chang Yang, 
mm-hmm. has repeatedly said inflation is the number one priority after it surged to a near 24-year high in July before slowing in August and September. Not declining, slowing. Right. That's exactly in line with the United States. Right. I mean, nothing that I've heard here is different than what we're experiencing. Right. So now, then, granted, their target rates are different. Their their overall economy is different, but the end result is the same. So they're doing what we're doing, and if you look at what you know the UK was doing, right? They they took the pressure off and turned the printing press back on. So it'll be interesting to see how that how that impacts them going the opposite way of what we're doing. So they have they have a lot of the, uh, similar problems than the U.S. has right now, and I I have gone down this in a rabbit hole, but I'll keep it kind of high level for the purposes of the show because I think the overall conclusion is that they have similar problems. But they have a very interesting charged political climate mm-hmm. and some changing of prime ministers, and everything else going on there that that have really changed some of the rhetoric. They they introduced some new tax issues. That now they're now trying to roll back because it wasn't a good plan and a lot of people are against it. They were having such economic challenges, pension funds were about to collapse. Right. So they had to go, as you talked about in the previous episode, they had to go back into printing money yeah. and putting pumping liquidity into the market instead of pulling yep. it out. And as a response, their their currency has dropped to the floor. Right. At least farther than it has historically. And there's a lot of turmoil there, talking about the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do. I knew as soon as Kramer came out and said, "Look at London, man, they're doing the right thing." Yeah, go the I, other way. <laughs> I knew I knew it was a terrible idea. So I mean, the, the inverse Kramer fund is the best way to go. But here, here's kind of the underlying message that I want to make sure that anybody listening to the show takes home. Mm-hmm. One site does have hairy toes. No, that is true. That is not true. That is absolutely true. <laughs> we will get him laser hair removal. I'm thinking about starting a GoFundMe. Uh, uh, but I may I may sponsor it entirely. Yeah, that's fine. But I just I just I want to know that you know that it's okay. It. We're here for you. I'll do it for the pod. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the second thing I want everybody to know is that there there's a lot of people saying that the Fed is being too restrictive and moving too fast, and then that all this is going to swing the other way super fast. Mm. If that's true, we've seen two seventy five basis point increases, a fifty basis point increase and a 25 basis point increase right we've seen them moving their target target rate farther and farther out right we've seen the rhetoric change from soft landing to hard landing to shit i don't give a fuck well i'm gonna just do what i gotta do yeah Yeah. we've seen all of this happen Mm -hmm. and yet we've not seen any significant momentum in the economy right the fact of the matter is, after 14 years of artificial interest rate deflation, the same thing that Ray Dalio is pointing to, saying that this is what's going to head us into a recessionary economy, that it's hard to get that momentum back, and all these things aren't doing it. It's been 14 years. Right. Did we really think we were going to reverse this and see a dramatic change in a matter of a year? Yeah. No. How foolish is that? Right. Yeah. I mean, Jay Powell knew what he what he was getting himself into. He, these things take time. We said it months ago that a lot of the indicators that they're looking at are lagging indicators, that it's going to take time for these things to show out. And even on some of them, it still hasn't even shown yet. So that's also kind of the, the, the final point that I wanted to drive home. Just because they're lagging indicators mm-hmm. doesn't mean they're going to pivot. So let me let me give you a great example. Right. Housing prices are not going to turn around in a matter of a quarter and be down 10%. Right. It's going to take a prolongated, slow grind before it gets there. Mm-hmm. For these people that are telling you and fear-mongering you that there's going to be a dramatic pivot and the Fed's going to overcorrect, mm-hmm. I don't see that as, as a plausible reality in any economic situation historically. Right. And I certainly don't see that in the one that we're in now, which granted is unprecedented, right? but is not devoid of economic policy, of economic rationale and economic logic. 
The only illogical thing that we're seeing here mm-hmm. is we're seeing a consistency of people who refuse to accept that after 14 years, maybe their perspective is a little off. Right. Exactly. That they, they just need a little bit more clarity. Right. Clarity. Clarity on said, how on the housing market. You said that in such a loud, enlightening way. That was that was a terrible segue, but I'm gonna take that. I said I, I led you with the lagging indicator stuff. You didn't finish the lob. I didn't want to finish the lob. I thought the lagging indicator was an important thing for us to talk about. Why is it always gonna be about the way you want it to be? <laughs> so shellfish. Shellfish. <laughs> so I, I passed by an article. Uh, housing market contagion collapse threatens spillover effects in these major industries. Did you read this one? I did. Good man. So it should come as no surprise that if energy costs go up, that there's other impacts. And it should come as no surprise that if housing is impacted the way that it is, that these, these ha- the, there are going to be other industries that are going to be impacted by this, right? Mm-hmm. So in a Tuesday report, Bank of America, <laughs> Brian, our, our favorite, yeah, Brian Moynihan, yeah. <laughs> noted the rate of wire payments to escrow and title companies typically used to pay deposits for home sales have fallen this year for the first time since the COVID recession in mid-2020. When I read that, I felt that was like, that's the data point, wire payments that you were looking at? I was yeah, like, that, that, that's that was a weird weird, thing yeah. that he was focused in on. Yeah, I, 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 whatever. Yeah. I'm just going to skip to the surprising facts. Okay. Okay. Though overall retail sales climbed in August, demand for items like furniture and electronics has fallen nearly 2% and 6% respectively year over year. The only negative yearly changes among the type of businesses tracked by the consumer department or commerce department, according to the latest data. Wow. So again, furniture, mm-hmm. electronic sales coming down. And you're also going to see this come down as we get closer towards consumer sentiment pivoting. And we've seen a dramatic change in consumer sentiment yeah. and consumer discretionary spending pulling back. But as people say, you know what? Beef and chicken are costing me more. Uh, driving to work is costing me more. Traveling to see my family over the holidays is costing right. me more. These are the ki- types of things that people are going to pull back on. Yeah, and that consumer sentiment report is coming out tomorrow as of the day of this recording. But once the listeners hear this, it'll already be out. And it's it's going to be uh, it's it's not going to be good. No. Yeah, it's right. not going to be good. It's going to be. I mean, how can you get? You would uh, hope so, right? You would hope that they see all this and they're actually now starting to wonder because if 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 consumer sentiment was truly down then the producer price index, which should be down. PPI. PPI, what we talked about earlier, but it's not down. So that's what's worrisome. That's what's worrisome for the Fed. It's like the Fed's trying to do everything they can to change consumer sentiment. Let everyone know we're not messing around. Start to protect yourself, save yourself, but people aren't changing or or learning. So hopefully that report's starting to show that. Mm. I'm going to read another couple of quotes from this article, which I thought was an interesting article because it had different different impacts to, to different industries, but I thought the way they characterized it was interesting. The impact has perhaps been felt most by home builders, who in August declared that the, na- the nation has fallen into a housing recession and have seen shares tumble more than 30% this year, according to the S&P Home Builders Select Industry Index, which includes home manufacturing giants such as Masco and the Owens Corning Company. The broader S&P 500 has also fallen 24%. So this is a good time for me to talk about one of the industries that I've had a, a particular grudge against for a long period of time. Not because I don't like it, but because I think that people get fast and loose and reckless. Okay. Not in the show notes. So Saeed, you're going to give me eye, eye, eye contact here. Okay. Right. Eye, eye, eye. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you looking yeah. at me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking at you. All right. Flippers. Home flippers. Oh, wow. 
not a good economy for home flippers. They're getting torched. So oh, do- yeah, obviously, because you, you got to think the the time it takes for them to flip, the interest that they have to pay on their on their loans mm-hmm. while, while they got it, that hurts them. Oh, tremendously right? so. So if a conforming single-family loan, if you're getting a jumbo product, is close to 7%, if not 7% or more right now, right? that's a huge carrying cost, Yep. right? Then you layer in your cost of all your supplies have gone up. Yeah, exactly. People are <laughs> the, the the old school arguments of supply and demand have gone out the, the window at this point in time. Mm-hmm. People have have recognized that demand without affordability is truly not demand. Mm-hmm. So less buyers in the market. Even if you get to market, your your profit margin has been eroded. And who's going to be able to afford that house? And who's buying right now? Right. I think everybody at this point is now a little freaked out. Right. So all these things are going to be a real real problem for flippers, and I think the wholesaling industry. And look, I think there are respectable ways to do both industries. Mm-hmm. I think there, there, there are ways that you can be in both industries and make good money and survive recessionary economies. But most flippers live off of leverage. And prolonged periods of exposure to interest rates in this kind of an environment, it's going to kill you. Leverage, the leverage will kill you and it'll drag and you it'll down. definitely make it harder. So yeah, they're going to definitely have to wait this out. And wholesalers, people who get properties under contract and sell them to somebody else... Man, who who's really? I mean, unless you're getting a deal below market right now, mm-hmm. and in some of these markets, home power, home prices are going down. If you hold that for too long, yep, you could wind up on the wrong side of it. There a deal. are some cities where home prices are dropping the most that we can get into. Boom! That's a segue, brother. Bang bang! Uchi wally wally. Just a throwback. <laughs> throwback <laughs> introduction. So some of those. Some of the first thing I'd like to know from that article that you posted that I read. Uh, mortgage applications decreased by 2%. That's per the Mortgage Bankers Association, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I looked up rates today, 7.08% on a 30-year fixed mortgage. Yeah, man. Yeah. Damn. I- I've gone in deep, deep into the mortgage rates, and we're, we're well above 7%. You're going to like this one, too. Adjustable rate applications. Arms. Yeah, yeah, are up to 12% versus the 3% they were in January. Up to twelve percent, right? Yeah, twelve percent of the applications are, are oh, they're not getting yeah, fixed yeah. thirty years because fixed people mortgages. are taking the, yeah, people are taking the cheaper the cheaper riskier teaser pro- rate, riskier product with a riskier product, hoping that the market will be better in five, seven, ten years. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So that, totally that's that's up. So that's starting to tick up, and expect that to continue to go up. But mm-hmm. um, some of these cities were uh, some that we we noted in the past. Austin, Texas, prices are down over 10% since June. Phoenix is down just shy of 10% since June. Mm-hmm. Um, now, not all the cities on this list weren't cities that thrived during the pandemic. So this is still a regional problem. Yeah, I still don't think we felt... So I, I've talked to people in Texas lately, and they're starting to see the home probably, the home prices come down, mm-hmm. and even major markets like Dallas. Yeah. Um, Preston Hollow, uh, Highland Park, those... Big name areas, they're starting to impact it as much as places like Austin that were kind of blown up. Yeah. And this has been a bit of a weird, weird kind of pricing adjustment because typically speaking, you have this outward, inward, inward, outward kind of valuation change over time in recessionary economies. At least that's what I've experienced historically. But because of affordability yeah. is driving this, mm-hmm. the cost of these mortgages and, and the demand is falling off as a result of it. It's almost hitting everybody in a very different way. It's like hitting the biggest markets around the country, yeah, and then creeping into the slower, the smaller markets over time. And, and it's, it's. I'm very perplexed, and and I don't. I would love to hear listeners' take or feedback on this at some point in time. In every recessionary economy that I've looked back on, there's always been some kind of catalyst. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm a, a little bit of a nerd like that. Like I'll go, I'll go back to these historic economies, and I'll look at. You know, the 80s and Volcker's period, and I'll go back and look at 
the 2020 COVID recession, which I think is not a recession, it's manufactured. And I'll go back and look at the Great Recession and the Great Depression. Right. And you see, I have the, the newspaper in my house. From, yeah, framed, right. Yeah, October 30th, 1929, the day after the the, the, the world's biggest, you know, the, the Great Recession's, you know, bigger brother. Right. The Great Depression. And I have that in my room, in, in my house, to, to remind me that the next day is always a positive. Yeah, like, it's all about perspective. Yeah, you're a sick bastard. I am a sick bastard. And as a banker, I, I look at that every single day. I leave and think to myself, like, the bad days can be forgotten the next day. Yeah, winter is coming. Winter, winter is coming. So I look at these things and I, I, I try to figure out what the catalyst is. Because you can go back to these historic events and say, this is the catalyst. Mm-hmm. This one's different, man. This one's really, really different. And right. I, I don't know that we can say that affordability is the catalyst, but I, I believe we'll look back on this time and we'll say what really drove the recession right. was affordability. Right. Because when you think about inflation, what is inflation? Inflation is an affordability issue. Yes. Can I afford, uh, can I afford to pay these higher prices? Yeah. When I'm trying to buy a house, can I afford to pay these higher prices? There's not enough supply for everybody, but there's no demand now because... Right. 7% interest rates, really? Well, uh, yeah, and I mean, a healthy economy is not a 3.5% unemployment rate. And a healthy economy is also not 2.7% financing on your home for yeah. 30 years. Yeah, exactly. So um, that's something that everyone's got to remember. We're going to, you know, keep saying this. The Fed's trying to get people to lose their job. That is that is absolutely the intent. They can't come out and say that from a PR perspective. Exactly. They can't say, we want you to lose the equity in your home because values need to go down. But yeah. that is, in fact, what they are trying to do. Do not deny that to your... Do not, do not give everybody out there who's trying to pitch you differently that the Fed is evil. That is the point. Yeah. That That is why we're here. Too much liquidity, too much value. They're trying to pull all that back. Yeah. We're going to keep driving that point home so everyone realizes it, but... That's the scary part to me is like they're literally looking at this unemployment number and saying we need this to go up. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and and it's um, it, it's unfortunate, but it's a necessary evil. And also wages that come down. Yes, wages wages need to come down as well because you have average workers who and it, it sucks for people like um, the fintech space, which has had a huge huge hit. You know the metas mm-hmm. of the world and and people in that space, the Googles, it, there's going to be a lot of lifestyle changes, I think, for a lot of these people who have had a lot of fringe benefits and a lot of stock and compensation is definitely going to change a lot for, for that sector. But And people be, some people are losing benefits at some major banks too. Really? Yeah. Oh, you know what? Um, I, I can't name any sources. Okay. But I was told that uh, some major mortgage companies had even gone so far as to stop their 401k matches. Wow. Yeah. That's so that's that's hurt. how pinched they are, right? It's not yeah. because they're trying to be malicious; it's because they just they, they. Would you guys rather us cut jobs or cut this, right? Yeah. So I want to be clear on one thing, though. As much as I'm a student of the game, and as much as Saeed try to try to say that you know we we have an understanding of where the economy is going because we we're giving you the data as we get it, not because right. we're smart people. One of the things that perplexes me still is if you look at the mortgage credit availability from 2004 to 2006, it was sky high. Yeah. Wow. Look at and, that. And I'll put a link in the, in the show notes. That's what Sai is looking at right now. But mortgage credit availability has not crept up significantly at all and nowhere near 2004 and 2006 numbers. Right. So credit in and of itself is not going to be the driver. There's not going to be default in people because people have bad credit issues. Now, people could lose their jobs. Mm-hmm. People could... Uh, have inflationary impacts where they just don't have enough free cash flow. They could want to sell their homes, not finding a buyer. It could not be, quote, traditional credit. And to give people a perspective on on what I really mean, I'll give you a great example. A lot of lenders will use a stressed rate to test 
your ability to repay under Dodd-Frank. And for those of you who don't know, in response to the Great Recession, uh, the, the regulatory environment changed. And under the Dodd-Frank rule was the ability to repay. Yep. You'd uh, have to show the ability to repay the loan that you're applying, applying yeah. for. You have to have the cash flow or a true ability to pay back that loan over 30 years and make those monthly payments. Exactly. And it sounds real simple and we're watering down a little bit. And it's but, wild to think there was a time that you didn't have to. Yeah, there was there was ninja loans, no income, no job. I mean, stated there no assets, income. Yeah, stated income. There was you know, all sorts of weird, goofy things going on and those haven't happened. Uh, as a matter of fact, this article actually quotes that. Uh, let me let me see if I can find the quote. That wasn't something I was intending on reading, but there was um, there was a tremendous amount. Uh, here we go. So uh, there were quote fog a mirror, get a loan, ninja loans, no income, no job or assets. Mm-hmm. So in the recent boom, lending was reasonably solid, and most homeowners have sustainable, substantial equity in their homes. Although I expect an increase in foreclosures from record lows. There will not be a huge wave of foreclosures as happened the following housing bubble. And I agree with that. Right. You're, you're going to see an increase because of, you know, the, the forbearances have worn off and all the, the, the mortgage forgiveness and everything else that we've seen. So right. you're going to start seeing these things creep and up. Not anyway. as many uh, ju- arm loans, adjustable rate mortgages. Right. Yeah, everybody got 30. If you, if you had a choice two years ago right. to get a 2.7 or 2.8 or 3% loan and right. go 30 years, were you really going to get an arm loan for 2%? Right, exactly. Like if if you got a if if we were in trouble for people having arm loans, they'd be in trouble right now, right? Because that interest would would come due, and then the rates are skyrocketing. So we haven't really made a prediction yet, but and it might be a little early to call it based on some of the data. But in about two two and a half weeks mm. is the next Fed meeting, the November first and second, right? Do we feel comfortable enough to make a prediction? We haven't talked about this at all. So yeah. I mean, this is just you and me, easy money. Easy money. Really? Yeah. You're confident? Confident. 75? 75. I, okay, I'll do this. Bare minimum 75. Like not... Or, wow. It's, it's, it's 75 or 100. It, it's not going to be 50. Well, it, the, the large leading estimate in Bloomberg prior to the last couple of prints was 50. Yeah, it was that last time too and I projected 75 and I was right. Can we say we? We. No, what, I, bro. What no, is this? I came out, I I came out right. first. I came out first. You're like, well, hold on. I, I co signed that. Yeah, no, 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 come no. on. Come man. on, man. Three episodes later, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right about that. Yeah. yeah you yeah. do realize we can play back our own episodes and listen to the conversation, right? Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it I back. was giving you a little bit of a way out just in case. The listeners are going to let you know, man. I called it first. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody goes back and listens to you. They go back and listen to me. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Difference. That's also true. I'm arrogant. <laughs> you know this. <laughs> No, I but agree. seriously, 75. 75 basis points it is. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I agree. But it's that. like, it's it sounds so, I don't know, like commonplace now, but it's like 75 basis points is, is still a big freaking deal. I, I'll tell you, that out of all the calls we made, this is the one where I'm hesitant. Really? Yeah. I, I, out of all the calls we made, I think there is a, a generous probability that 50 basis points is still possible. Okay. Because I, I think that the, the Fed may just want more time. And the last time they, they came out, they had two two actual months well, versus a single. Well, they've already said, right, that initially they said their project rate was 4.4%, right, by the end of the project, year. Oh, projected. Projected Projected rate, target yeah. rate. Yeah, yes. target rate, right? Yeah, okay, yeah. 4.4% by the end of the year. Where are we at now? Oh, we're above that, yeah. No, no, no. Right now, right now we're, we're below that. But the only way to get there is with a 75 basis point hike. No, no, I, I get what you're saying. But yeah. I, I get... So if you take in Powell was even asked about it. Like he said the projected rate and where we were at now at that at that FOMC meeting 
And he, he responded... It's four and a quarter or 4.5? No, what, the projected rate? Yeah. Uh, I guess four four 4.5. Okay, so if they did this originally, it was 50 basis points and 25 basis points to end the year. Mm-hmm. So you're saying 75 basis points and then a move to 5%? And then, and then, a, and then a move to, yeah. Exactly. 5% is your target right. rate? Right. By, but that'll be by Q end of Q1 of 2023. Hmm. Okay, yeah. I buy that. Yeah. yeah, I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we've been uh, very serious and very focused on important things. Yeah, you didn't even see the segue earlier, but... What, is there uh, a segue earlier, Miss? Yeah, so some, some people are going to lose some uh, some of their benefits at banks. Yeah, I didn't want to touch that one. Oh, you don't want to touch that one? Yeah, I didn't want to touch that one. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to we'll touch that it, one. We'll leave it for another podcast. No, because, you know, we work at a bank. All people are like, listen to this and be like, that, that, they talk about us and it's not them. Uh, they, it's it not them. It's not them, yeah. Clearly, it is not that. But I didn't want people to get freaked out, so gotcha. I, I, okay. I avoided that one on purpose. Ah, I see, yeah, I see. Because you're you're a doucher. <laughs> um, I'm gonna skip right to pop culture. I've been I've been I've been I've been holding I've been holding this one, right. putting it in my pocket. Yeah, I'm looking right at you, Chief. Are, <laughs> okay. you, are you ready? I'm ready. I okay. want to hear this. All I've right. been I've been you've been keeping this from me. No, I've, I've not been keeping it from you. J.P. Morgan Chase ends relationship with Yeezy. That's what I was referring to. Kanye West uh, has made some what people believe to believe to be anti-Semitic comments online. He has also uh, made some comments as it relates particularly to J.P. Morgan Chase. I think this came less from the perceived anti-Semitic comments, and I don't really know the totality of all that. To be honest with you, I didn't see all I didn't of even, them. I didn't even know what he said. He 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 made some comment about Jews and money and stuff like. I don't really remember what I I saw some of it vaguely, but I I, I it tuned it out. Mm-hmm. It's Kanye West, and I was just like, whatever. And maybe I should have taken a little more focus to it, but I do know clearly, and you know this, he's called out Jamie Dimon for not having a personal meeting with him. Yes. He's called out uh, board of director members for J.P. Morgan Chase who happen to be on the board of Adidas. Right. And there's clearly some some pointed fingers at people in and around the J.P. Morgan Chase circle. Right. So they sent him a letter, and, <laughs> and of course, we, we got a copy of it, and I read this, and we're in the banking sector, and... and this is not uncommon to see a letter like this for a high risk account. Like if you're in like um, uh, private money lending or you're in the gambling business. And who or, posted this letter? I think he did. He did himself. That's, think, the only, that's the only way this letter gets out. Yeah. It's dear yay, comma. Because <laughs> <So laughs> that, that's, that's his official so, name. So they know he wants to be addressed as yay. <laughs> and then the name they, 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 they blacked out. And I don't know if it's because he's trying to hide the company, but whatever. Right. We are sending this letter to confirm our recent discussion with the name you blacked out that J.P. Morgan Chase Bank has decided to end its banking relationship with Yeezy LLC and its affiliates, affiliated entities, collectively the company. Wow. Yeah. Anything and everything tied to you, we want out. Out. Bye. <laughs> See ya. To provide the company with sufficient time to transition to another financial institution, we will be uh, we will continue to maintain the accounts attached to Exhibit A. Including all related products and services until November twenty first, twenty twenty two. So like a, a month away. This is we're reading this as of October thirteenth. <laughs> yeah, you got a month, chief. Figure yeah, it out. Yeah, you got like about 30, 45 days, and then yeah. you're gone, homie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh wow. Boy. To avoid any transaction delays, we suggest that you stop processing company transactions and/or using any products associated with the accounts five business days before the scheduled closure date set forth above. After that, the bank will close any open accounts. 
And after deducting uh, any uh, permissible service charges and pending transactions, remit all remaining funds in the form of a check delivered to the company at the address of record. <laughs> we ask that you act promptly uh, to transfer your business to another financial institution before November 21st, 2022. Reiterating the get out. Yeah. Casually. Watch. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to call your usual banking contact, a.k.a. not Jamie Dimon. Yeah. Thank you for your attention to this matter. Sincerely, J.P. Morgan Chase. <laughs> yeah, nobody signed it, though. <laughs> nobody signed it. <laughs> Don't come after me, please. I used to love uh, sending sending emails like this when I used to work at the law firm back in the day. Oh, and my God. You send, you send a, like, a stiff email like this, and at the end, thank you for your anticipated understanding. Oh, I do that all the time. I do that all the <laughs> That's time. That's my favorite sign-off of all time. Most gangster move. I, I do it with the thank you in advance for your anticipated cooperation. Yeah. Like, I, I want to I put you in the passive <laughs> position. <laughs> like, I don't even care. And I love it when somebody calls me getting, like, viscerally emotion, yeah. like, emotional, and I, this is the way I respond. I can hear how you feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I sense you're frustrated. I'm and so I got to tell you, <laughs> I can appreciate that. I, exactly. And then I like to give long pauses in between. Oh, man. Like this. Ready? I understand. Yeah. Pause. Right. Hey, well, I'm telling you right now, Uncle Jamie said, don't I, fuck I with under, my team. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that it doesn't say a reason either. Yeah. <laughs> like, no reason and no, no one signed it. No one reason. They had a call with him. Like such a gangster move. This is like a mob move. Yeah. We had somebody call you. Yeah, yeah. And that's the reason why we're going to end the relationship. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was a good impersonation. Was it really? Yeah, it was really Thank good. Yeah, you. you know, I try. I try to do my mob <laughs> yeah. once in a while. Jay, bro. Jamie Diamond said, don't mess with my squad. You coming after my board direction team, that's it. It's game over. Yeah. <laughs> You're really excited about this. I, I love this. This, yeah. this, was, this was awesome. The fact that Kanye posted it too is amazing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Kanye's like, look what happened to me. Yeah, exactly. You know what he's going to say now. He's gonna, I'm going to come out with my own Yeezy bank. Bro, I'm, I posted the comment on his social media saying yeah. you need to come out with a bank. Yeah, bank of yay. Dude, first of all, the, the, let's put the sarcasm aside here. If he wanted to buy an existing charter... Mm. And put together a management team, bro. He's not doing that. Come on, man. Why not? He, yeah, he, he should. He would crush it. He should, and he could, but he won't. Come on, man. All the regulations involved with that. He doesn't have to do it. He just put his money to work. Mm -hmm. Kanye, I'm your guy, bro. Call me. You don't want to be that guy because he, he could post you, make fun of your hat. Yeah, he probably would. Here's what I. <laughs> it's true, but but look, all I'm saying is is who's gonna bank him now? I'm sure somebody will take his money, but I yeah. think the real reason that he was asked to leave is that he is, so banks get a little bit of scrutiny for political accounts. Right. PACs, right? Mm -hmm. It's challenging. You worked in, you know, you know, you, yeah. you know how this is. And those are considered high risk and volatility. And there's some challenges there. And from a compliance and risk perspective, I'm not surprised that his accounts are considered to be high risk and volatile. Well, I, I look at it like this, right? Banks usually stay neutral and all this stuff. They keep themselves far away. They don't want to touch it. We don't take sides. They're not political. We're not left. We're not right. They do now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, he went out of his way to constantly call them out, right? And has had brought their name with pictures of his board and jokes about them yeah. on his social media for a prolonged period of time. All jokes aside, taking it way too far. I'm sure those people, I didn't look into it. I don't have social media, but I'm sure those people were attacked. We by, all know by, you really do have a stalker. No, I don't. I really don't. But I will be having one soon. Stay tuned. Um, but said, he that, brought. That's the third episode you said. That. Yeah, but so he's bringing these people's names onto the forefront, right? Mm -hmm. Constantly saying no one at J.P. Morgan wants to sit down and have a meeting with me, 
right? So he's now well, forcing. Clearly, that's true. So he's now forcing <laughs> them. It's like, oh, let me tell you why we're not going to take a, a meeting with you. Not only are we not going to take a meeting with you, boom, you're gone because of all. Because now they're forced to have to take a side. Mm. Well, neither here nor there at this point. He's out, and yeah. and I'll say that it, it just goes to show you that nobody messes with Uncle Jamie. Yeah. Don't mess with Uncle Jamie, baby. And I would say he never made a public statement. Yeah. No one ever heard or made a reference to this. And you know he was involved in this. You know he had a, he had a conversation about this. Yeah, you should, I mean, he was probably foaming at the mouth waiting at the opportunity to say something. Say one more thing that gives me a reason to can you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, come on, please. Uh, look, it is what it is, man. Like he uh, pulled that trigger quick. And, and I'll say that I don't know if Kanye has like, real issues or he's just manipulating the environment to say things that are crazy if he's a creative or any of this or that right here's what i will say i am tired of reading it very tired of reading it uh, it, it is hence it is, why we didn't look into the anti-semitic comments right it just got, it went too far like at that yeah. point in time when, you, when you're dropping like the word jews and you're making reference like that it, it's like at that point i'm like, I, like you're, you're just too much yeah i don't i don't hear yeah. any of that stuff, especially coming from you, right? Not to mention, yeah. I've seen posts on social media lately that that a lot of Jewish people are afraid to like do their normal like walks to their temple because of some ongoing like violence. I mean, it, I look at I look at stuff like this, like religious tensions, and I'm like, there's so much wrong in the world today. Like, why are people in the United States afraid to walk to to their to their place of worship? Mm-hmm. Like, how fucked up are we getting where people are afraid? I mean, there's so much going on that that's so polar in this country. It's true. I mean, that's why I don't go to the mosque, man. I'll be honest. What? Yeah. What do you mean? I'm afraid to go to the mosque because of those reasons. You don't know what could happen. I don't really see you as a practicing Muslim. I've got to be honest with you. Well, I mean, I'm not going to come out and say now I'm a perfect Muslim, but I mean, I do have my faith and uh, we, we pray with the kids and um, I'm afraid to go like there. You pray because- like... Muslim style with the kids. Yeah, Muslim, Muslim style. No, like, I, look, I went. I went to mosque when I was a kid. Like I get it. And then yeah. I went to Catholic churches. I've been to Christian churches. I've been to yeah. Jewish temples. I've been to yeah, the kids Buddhist ass. temples. The kids ass is actually uh, it, was, it was something that I, I can't remember where I caught, but it's a very powerful thing for a young child. Um, and the, I think that what I was looking into and when I was listening to had to do with young boys. Right, it's a really powerful thing for a young boy to see his father bend the knee to something greater and bigger. The spiritual aspect of it. Not that I'm trying to force any beliefs onto my kids, but um, I want him to appreciate, you know, all of this. So the walk me through this, like you, uh, like this is beside the bed, getting down on one knee. No, the no, like we pray, like how Muslims pray, right before bedtime. Uh, and it's not every night, but we try. But you're to not doing it like a sundown and sunrise and. No, no, not five times a day. And yeah, yeah, okay. but it's like before bed, that kind of thing. And actually, he asked to do it. He wanted to do it. He saw somebody do it. And he said, "Why don't you guys do it?" And we told him, "Oh, well, we do it usually after you guys go to bed." And it's funny is my my dad when I was a kid was Muslim, and now I think he identifies as probably as Christian at this mm-hmm. point. He went to a Christian law school, mm-hmm. and um, I was put in um, I was put in Muslim like Quran like reading schools. Yeah, and then I'd go to mosque afterward. It was right across from the mosque, and then I went to Bethany Christian Academy when I was in elementary school. So as a right. kid, like my parents tried to cross pollinate me with different cultures and religions. My grandmother was um, half Jewish, right. I got exposure to Jewish temples growing up. You know, my best friend was Jewish, and and I would probably spend more time with the Jewish people than I did my own. Right. I mean, whatever whatever my own looks like. My mom was super open. Been to a lot of like Buddhist temples. I think I really identified as Buddhist for periods of my life that I didn't recognize that right. I was. Right. And I'll tell you, the, the the symmetry in religions is much more visible when you don't belong to one. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of beliefs, and I know a lot of religions get tainted with extremisms. Yes, 
same way politics gets tainted right. tainted with extremisms. But it's a beautiful thing to have like a spiritual side to you, whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a beautiful thing to have. I think, I think like, every human needs sunlight. Yeah, every human needs to to work out and and to to move. Every human needs purpose, and I think every human needs spirituality in some way. It can definitely bring something else out of you. And our belief in, at our home is like whatever makes you the best version of yourself. Because we have friends that believe in all all kinds of faith, right? And some that have no faith, right? And um, whatever brings out the best is, version is, is having no faith to a degree a type of faith. I, I could see that. Like if you're an atheist and you don't believe in these things, I my, mean, are you like, my maybe friends, like you believe in Darwinism? Darwinism, you know, yeah. My like, friend or my friends and cousins uh, who who don't have a faith and are atheists, um, they have told me that they feel like they have a greater appreciation for life. Mm. That's that's how they explain it to me. So what I what I say is whatever makes you the best version of you, that's what I want out of out of my friends and family. So there's obviously no judgment on our end, um, and it's just a matter of becoming a better person at the end of the day is it weird that we start off this podcast talking about the economy and inflation and now we're talking about like death and religion death oh <laughs> who's talking about death i am because like, let's be honest those, those th- things are tied man like as the old i'm in i'm in my early 40s now you know 42 uh-huh. poor thing yeah uh, <laughs> wow and uh i uh i see a lot of people that i grew up watching on television dying oh i know a lot it's of a lot become, of people yeah. and I, I i can't i can't help but think about my parents like all the celebrities that they that they watched growing up, died. I, mm-hmm. when Sean Connery died, that hit me hard, bro. Yeah, like I, I grew up at the tail end of Sean Connery's career, but he was the older like star. Yeah, it hit me hard, man. Like I, I watched I, my wife and I watched like some of his early movies, like the 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 weekend after he died, mm-hmm. and I saw him so young, and I couldn't help but think to myself, like we live in a time where. We spend so much time obsessing over like the days and months and being like a millionaire. We forget that we're here for such a small window. Yeah. And if you look through my my news browser on Instagram, it's like finance, the economy, the solar system, like NASA, planets. Right. The new the new telescope is out there, and and I I don't know what it is, but like I when I listen to like shows like Joe Rogan. Yeah. I love listening to episodes on aliens. I know. The, the deep dives on that stuff. The I deep dives on that stuff. stuff. Like Jeremy Corbell when he goes on. I love uh, that stuff. I, yeah. I, I, like, I go deep. Like a yeah. hardcore. Yeah. Um, I love listening to stuff on nutrition about because it makes me think about prolonging life a little bit and getting right. a better quality of life. Exactly. But I start to look at, at all these things and I think to myself like we get so down on, the, on ourselves from a perspective of where the economy is in this temporary period of time. But mm-hmm. a recession is narrow. Right. Seven to ten years on average. Yeah. And then followed by another 17 years of prosperous time. There's nothing in the grand scheme. I know. There was this meme going around that my, I had some cousins send me and it was a, it was a picture of, uh, I think it was like the Milky Way. And there was a little red arrow pointing to it and uh, to a certain section. Oh, yeah, and, it, yeah, yeah. And, and it was like, you're here complaining about why you can't afford something. It's true though, man. The macro world is so much bigger than it's us. It's so we, easy to get caught up in your day-to-day bullshit. And when you see shows like Rogan, you can tell like this shit's had an impact on him. Like Joe hey, Rogan, Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> Those of you who don't didn't listen to that particular episode, we found out that if you mention a podcast name in your algorithm that uh is in your show, the algorithm will pick it up 
<laughs> and recommend it as a similar show. Yeah. So we try to get you know similar shows like uh, Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan <laughs> to my pump, my pump, my pump. Yeah. <laughs> to come up as 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 uh, recommended shows for our audience and their audience across pollinate. Yeah. But all right, well, we talked a lot, a lot today. Mm-hmm. And we went through a lot of topics today. Had a good a, amount of time. Had about a half a full bottle of port there. That's a good bottle. Because we're classy, not trashy. Yeah. Keep it classy, baby. <laughs> Even though you were slurring your words a lot tonight. I'm just tired, man. So Carter, my son, uh-huh. he, uh, he woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning last night. So, okay, let's go a little longer. Fuck it. Okay. Um, when, you, when your mom, my, my wife is a stay-at-home mom. That's a full-time job. Mm-hmm. But there's a benefit to that full-time job in that you build this relationship with our son that I don't get. Because I'm a full-time working dad. Absolutely agree. And it's hard for me because I want I want him to know that daddy's a comfortable place too, but mommy's there more often than daddy. Yeah. So nights like last night when he wakes up, like I want to be there. And my wife, I could tell she was tired. I got out of bed and I'm with him and he kept waking up. Mm-hmm. I think he saw like a reflection of a light off of like a power strip or something that just like spooked him and freaked him out. Yeah. So... I, you know, I sit outside the door for a little bit and I sit and sit in bed and cuddle with him. And then we close the door because we don't, we don't want him to be used to sleeping in our bed. We want him to, you know, be independent. Yeah. And I was up all night last night, man, like three, yeah. four hours. And then I got home. Um, I slept for like 30, 40 minutes before I came here tonight. Wow. But then I had the social content stuff that we filmed before this. Sounds like a lot you, of excuses. You, you and I did the, what? <laughs> <laughs> wow. You're getting all sentimental. I'm trying to open up to you, bro. <laughs> No, I know. I was with you with all the Carter stuff. Yeah, come on. You took a nap, bro. Come on. Get with it. A 30, 40 minute nap is nothing for me, man. Come I slept on, like man. three hours you last night. 20 minute power nap. Ooh, you you overdid I've it. You never. overdid a 20 minute power people nap. People who say they can power nap, like y'all just assholes. Well, that's what you need. I've heard, I know. I heard people say back in the day that they would drink a cup of coffee and then fall asleep so that the effects don't hit them so that when they wake up, boom, they're, they're wide awake. I'm like, come on, man. Get the fuck Get out of here. Get the fuck out of here. Come with on, that gypsy man. <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> that gypsy bullshit. Yeah, nobody, nobody yeah. likes that. Like, Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not that guy. I need like two hours. That's yeah. my nap. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Before I got married, <laughs> dude, I would come home from the gym, take two hour naps. Oh, yeah. It was amazing. Well, well rested. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what a nap is, man. I haven't had a nap in so goddamn long. Really? Yeah. I feel bad for you. you want to nap in the studio? <laughs> yeah, we can. Yeah. <laughs> We're working. No, we we would not nap. You would nap. I would stay awake and guard you. Yeah. Oh, guard <laughs> me. Is that what you call it? <laughs> AKA take photos for social media. This is what site looks like, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Photoshop me. Free face app. If those of you who saw our live a little earlier tonight before we recorded the show, Saeed was actually on social media for a brief window of time. Yeah, it was fun. It was Number cool. one comment, he's not as fat as you made him sound like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love those fans. Yeah, I, mean, I can't, it, you, And you deleted it, so I can't even reach out to those fans once I do get yeah, social bro, media. Yeah, I can't have those comments out there dude, <laughs> damaging the reputation I built for you. <laughs> the whole point is for you to get pressured enough to go on social media and prove me wrong. Yeah, we're going to get cameras in here soon, though. Uh, I, I have everything ready. We've got to buy the, the new Sony that came out, and then after that, that's gonna be that's gonna be an interesting transition. Do we gotta us, get though. dressed for the podcast? I can't get dressed like this for the podcast. Why, bro? I'm wearing sweatpants, no shoes, and it, a t-shirt. My nipples are very, very visible right now. They're, they're very, very visible. Let's be honest, man. You're just gonna get some Alo stuff, and you look representable. I'm gonna get some what stuff? It, what's it? Alo? That brand? Aloe. Aloe. How disconnected are you to pop culture, man? I don't, I don't know, man. Pop culture? That's a that's a thing. That's a thing. Everybody wearing aloe these days. That's the new little lemon. Oh yeah, no, it's it's also hard. No, it's they make uh, clothes for fat people. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, man. Let's sign off before Saeed and I go too far down the rabbit hole. Appreciate everybody. Thank you. We appreciate you. And if you're still here and you have left a review, leave the review, please. Honest. I mean, we've asked like a lot. Yeah. We deserve it. Come on. We're pausing. We're waiting. I mean, we're helping you help yourself. Yeah. More reviews means more listeners, which means we can do more for you. Yeah, exactly. That's not true at all. But go ahead and leave the review anyway. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Higher Standard Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you are listening to this on. If you like this episode, please write a review and share it with us. You're getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase what's possible when leaders decide to uphold a higher standard for their businesses, their investments, their families, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to see more of my content, I post daily on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. So be sure to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And with that, it is a wrap. And as always, I look forward to hanging with you all on the next episode.